Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. So please put your hands together and give a warm welcome to Jim Ruland. Thank you very much. In uh, 2005, when my book came out, I had uh, guts and heart, but my vision was a lot better than it is right now. <laughs> I haven't worn these glasses, and I can barely see the back of the building, but uh, thank you so much for coming. I'm going to silence my cell phone, otherwise my mom will call, right? <laughs> She's already been texting me. <laughs> You're doing what? Okay, so um, I'm going to read tonight a very brief excerpt from the novel. Um, I'm going to tell you some of the strange circumstances uh, about the writing of the novel, how it came into being, and how um, art and life intertwined in really horrible fashion. Um, but, you know, I love to see a packed house full of beautiful, charming, intelligent people. And I also like gatherings like this one. <laughs> okay, so Forest of Fortune began in 2006. I've been living in LA for about 10 years. And I moved to San Diego to get married. Good, right? And went to work in an Indian casino. Bad. Very, very bad. Uh, I was pretty miserable. I hated my boss. My uh, agent invited me to explore other opportunities, and uh, I was developing a serious substance abuse problem. A couple years later, in 2008, I pulled my act together enough to scratch out uh, a quick and dirty draft of Forest of Fortune, except then it was called The Haunted Casino. <laughs> That's not the funny part. <laughs> Then everything fell apart. That, now you can laugh. Though, so. um, but seriously, I lost a very close friend to a drug overdose, and there's only one really time-tested way to deal with that, and that is to put as much drugs into your body until you realize, okay, you need to stop doing that. And um, after uh, my friend, his name was JJ, after his memorial service, I decided I was going to go into recovery. So the next couple of years, I put my life back together and I, as I was dealing with the novel and revising the novel, realizing what a mess I had, but still liking the story, especially the way that it reflected the person that I once was. Um, the novel is set in an Indian casino. Um, it, a little quick summary, three lost souls uh, 
are haunted by the past try to make things right. Um, their stories intertwine but are conflicted by a malevolent spirit that takes the shape of a slot machine called Loot Caboose. So one of those characters is named Pemberton and Pemberton is a Caucasian copywriter with a uh, serious drinking and alcohol problem. Total work of fiction, although there are a few resemblances to my own experiences. Um, but here's where it differs, and this is, I'm going to set up the story. When uh, Pemberton comes to Thunderclap Casino in the deserts of San Diego, he's just been kicked out of his apartment by his fiance here in LA. So um, I'm going to read tonight a set piece that takes place in LA, in Hollywood, um, that kind of tells you the story of how he got kicked out. And all you really need to know is that um, he's been fired from his job as a copywriter, he's had a DUI, and he's on very thin ice with his fiance, Deborah. Ask a shitload of questions. That was Pemberton's strategy for job interviews. Start with questions, end with questions, and cram more questions in between. The last time he'd used this approach, it had worked a bit too well. Pemberton had responded to an ad for a freelance editing gig placed by a woman named Kiki. He hadn't done any editing since you had to be there. The online humor zine he founded in college, which had peaked at 40 discreet visitors per week. <laughs> Through an exchange of emails, he learned that Kiki intended to write a book about her Korean boyfriend, Ricky, who had a super secret crime story to tell. Crime was involved, money was no object. Would Pemberton like to meet at a coffee shop to discuss the details? Absolutely. Surprise, surprise, Kiki turned out to be a highly attractive Korean-American woman with long hair that kept drifting into her eyes. Ricky, predictably, was a thick-necked thug who didn't speak any English. Pemberton fired questions at his potential employer, and he learned quite a bit. Ricky was a gangster, a straight-up killer. Kiki was bisexual. Sapphic poetry was her thing, not criminal memoirs. That's where Pemberton came in. You're an amazing writer, Kiki gushed. I can tell from your emails. <laughs> tell me more, Pemberton said. We're polyamorous. That means we like to fuck other people. Ricky grunted, and Kiki went on. She had a thing for massage oils, liked making home movies with his digital cocaine with digital camera. They both enjoyed cocaine. Kiki offered these details in the unselfconscious way of someone auditioning for a reality television show. She wanted the other patrons in the coffee shop to hear what she was putting out there. What we're really looking for, Kiki confessed, is a ghostwriter. I see, Pemberton said. How do you propose we proceed? Would you like to come back to our place and get to know one another better? 
Pemberton nodded his consent, not because he was attracted to Kiki, though he was, and not because he needed the money, though he did, desperately, and certainly not because he wanted to put his relationship with Deborah, which was already on life support, in further jeopardy. No. Pemberton accepted Kiki's invitation because he really, really loved cocaine. <laughs> the ad man's drug of choice. And the prospect of getting paid an outrageous sum to do coke with a polyamorous bisexual Korean American hottie made him weak with want. They went up to the hills in Ricky's limited edition Lexus. They lived in Koreatown, Kiki explained, but were mansion sitting for a friend in the porn industry. The house looked like a wedding cake made out of bird cages, floor to ceiling glass walls, fire pit in the parlor, infinity pool on the patio. The guest bedroom bathroom was a tribute to the 1970s. Pemberton wondered how many adult films had been shot here. They settled into a lounge strewn with sofas. Kiki fiddled with the stereo and asked Pemberton to fix drinks. He found the bar and made a Bellini for Kiki and poured himself a scotch. He had no idea where Ricky had gone. What I find exhilarating about memoir, <laughs> Kiki said as if she were practicing her French, is how naked you are. Just you, the page, and the pen, Pemberton offered. I was thinking thesaurus, but you're the pro. <laughs> Pemberton was ready for another scotch. Kiki scrutinized him over the rim of her cocktail glass. Can you handle that kind of nakedness? Of course. I'm the pro, he laughed. Let's do some blow. Kiki dumped at least an eight ball on the glass coffee table. Pemberton asked more questions while she sculpted lines. How long have you and Ricky known each other? What brought you to LA? You know I'm heterosexual, right? Kiki snorted a line of coke through an impressive-looking silver tube designed expressly for the purpose. The kinky couple from Koreatown was serious about their cocaine. Pemberton did one, two, three quick lines with a rolled-up dollar bill and levitated over to the bar to splash more scotch in his glass while Kiki went to work with her pretty little tube. Numb from the neck up, Pemberton could barely make out what Kiki was saying until she beckoned to him from the couch. So they do some uh, sexy stuff, <laughs> or at least they try to, because uh, Pemberton is not really in condition to perform, which is something that I've read quite a lot about. <laughs> so. Um, she gets really frustrated with him and they continue. But what's kind of funny about this is like, it's, as you've, I've outlined, it was a long process in writing this. And since then, two of the, those thing, two of the things that I've just read have kind of come true. One, what are these? Just only two. Um, one is that, uh, I had never done any ghost writing, and since then I, I've done some ghost writing for, as many of you know, um, a fisherman on the Deadliest Catch show. And I just want to say that's not, this is not how I got that gig writing <laughs> a memoir for the Deadliest Catch. And then uh, Kiki and uh, Ricky are mansion sitting, 
And for the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of house sitting, pet sitting, cat, cat sitting, and uh, no mansions, but some pretty interesting things have gone on in those places. Wow, the owners are away. I, many of you are here tonight, so um, <laughs> just, you know, check YouTube <laughs> after the reading. Okay, so um, Kiki is kind of fed up with Pemberton, but she's not letting him off the hook yet. She produced a silver tube much longer than the first and handed it to Pemberton. What's this for? If you can't service me, she said, you can at least give my man what he wants. What? Pemberton bleated. You blow. Ricky got down on all fours and looked at him over the shoulder. I'm sorry, Pemberton, said the Kiki. I don't play that way. I thought I made that clear. No, no, no. Like this. She held the silver tube up to her mouth like a dart gun and slapped Ricky's ass. And Pemberton understood. He'd heard about this thing, but never seen the practice put into action. He accepted the tube and knelt down on the carpet, and he knee-walked toward Ricky's backside and balked. Ricky's muscular cheeks gleamed with oil and smelled faintly of vanilla. Um, can you give me a hand here? Kiki rolled her eyes. She crouched by Pemberton's side and inserted one end of the silver tube into Ricky's anus. Pemberton felt the first stirrings of arousal, but it was too late for that. Pemberton blew the cocaine that had been packed into the silver tube deep into Ricky's rectum. The Korean gangster howled as if he'd been jabbed by a needle, or maybe he was singing Pemberton's praises as a cocaine delivery system. <laughs> Unlikely, but the possibility could not be ruled out. What did he say? He said, he doesn't think you're the ghost we're looking for. I think I'd better be going. I think that would be best. Pemberton pulled on his pants and slipped into his jacket, felt the reassuring weight of his cell phone. He wondered how many times Deborah had called and pushed the thought out of his mind. Say, do you think? Kiki slapped a baggie into Pemberton's palm. Goodbye. Thank you. You were never here. Of course, and we're here, are we, so I can call a cab? Kiki backed him onto the porch. If you contact me again, you can expect a visit from Ricky. Pemberton tried to think of something clever to say as the door shut in his face. He was terrible at goodbyes. He stumbled down the street, letting gravity be his guide. The moon, the stars, three missed calls from his fiancee, holy shit. He turned off his phone. He wasn't ready to go home. It was early, at least by coke in the pocket and no work tomorrow standards. The interview hadn't gone well, but they weren't really looking for a writer, at least not one of Pemberton's caliber in Pemberton's league. There was nothing left to do but hoof his way back to Hollywood. Thank you.
Thank you very much. Now, I know that doesn't deal a lot with the whole uh, um, five years that I spent at an Indian casino on the reservation, but um, I'm reading next with my daughter is going to be at the next few readings, and that one wouldn't really go over too well with, so I, um, you know, I, I really wanted to read that piece, and it being an LA one, I thought you would appreciate. Maybe some of you have had a comparable experience, and uh, can send me an email about how I got it all wrong. Um, what I like to do is. Um, open it up to some questions and I'm with the caveat that yes I am going to raffle off a couple of t-shirts but I'm also going to you know the whole game's a chance thing you know it's a theme but I'm going to break that theme and give a t-shirt away to the person who asked the best question so um, don't be shy I just read to you a totally made up story about blowing cocaine into a gangster's, gangster's rectum. You don't need to be nervous or shy about, about anything. Hmm? What I did at the casino, I worked uh, in the marketing department and I was a copywriter and uh, which I was the only copywriter and so if you worked in advertising you're used to having kind of like a proofreader and account team and there's a whole bunch of you. It was just me. I did TV, billboards, placemats, emails, newsletters, anything that you could put words on. The worst slogan is also the best, and the one I'm most proud of. Um, it's really sinister and sleazy, but they went for it. And it was the uh, slogan for about three years, or two years. And then they changed every year, and it was really bad. And, you know, we get all this direction, and we would just say, like, okay, what's Target's logo? Okay, go with something like that. But, you know. But the one I'm really proud of that was horrible was Viejas Casino. Easy to get to, hard to leave. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of that one. So, um, so maybe I call it, maybe I actually help someone. Like, like, man, it is hard to leave here. Fuck this place. You know? so that, who asked that one? Who was that question? Well, no. What well, we're gonna do this? I'm gonna give you a, a poker chip for a hundred dollars at Thunderclap Casino. I wouldn't bring this into any other casino, but so. Everyone who gets a uh, chip will uh, will go. We're going to do like a, a raffle out of this somehow. Okay. Do you have a question? No, but the people in my writers group uh, started calling me Jimberton <laughs> by the end. So and uh, so yes and no. I mean, there were some things where um, the interesting thing about it is that uh, it was. The, the recession hit almost as soon as I started. When I started, things were great. I hated my boss, but we were getting quarterly bonuses, and I was like, man, this is great. And uh, But then things got really bad, and the numbers kept going down and down and down, and there's no commercial or ad that's going to make someone come gamble when they've lost their job or something like that. I mean, just people don't have money, they don't have money. So 
for five years, every year, that we had a new director of marketing, a new VP of finance. It was like constant turnover, and like the morale just went in the toilet. So um, and it ended up being not all that fun. So I felt trapped there, and half the time I was there, I was still partying, and the other half, I had gone into recovery. And so I came to understand that I'm not trapped. I can leave any time I want. There's no ghost here that's keeping me chained to my desk, but it was my own fear of of leaving. And uh, and that was a big that was a big uh, kind of awareness to help me get out of there. That and also having to work on New Year's Eve at a slot tournament was also like, yeah, I got to get out of I got to find something else to do. <laughs> yes. Is it a supernatural film? I'm sorry? Is it a supernatural film? It has, I, what I like to say is that it cozies up to the supernatural and then collides with crime. <laughs> so, I didn't answer your question, so I'm going to give you a... <laughs> yes? Uh, what part of your writing process did you decide to go with three, the perspective of three protagonists versus one? Um, well... What I want, I got really tired of reading really tidy, mannered um, narratives where you have a story and oh, they're an orphan, they don't have any parents, and, and oh, they live by themselves and they do the same thing every day. And that way you can cram in all these beautiful descriptions of sunsets and their horrible thoughts and all that. And I was like, no, that's not life for anybody. So I wanted like three characters and I wanted them to have really messy situations. I wanted a drunk who was trying to make things right with an ex, with a bad boss. I wanted a woman who was addicted to gambling but had a sister who was trying to pull her out of it and two nieces and dead parents. And then I had a, um, a Native American woman who was working at the casino, but she was not from that tribe, so she was an out, she was an Indian surrounded by Indians, but yet an outsider, and had all kinds of, a lot of baggage. So I really wanted like a really messy kind of storyline, and so that's why I went with the three characters. And it was really fun and fast to write, but man, it was hard to revise, because it was messy. <laughs> so that's a good one. Right, let's just do a couple more. Yes, Kiyoshi. So you started the novel while you were using substances and like finished clean. Yes. It's kind of what I recommend that everybody do. You, know? <laughs> you write, you have a breakdown, and then you like look and see what you got and clean it up and you know. <laughs> Only takes about five or six years, you know. You know. It's not, it's less expensive than MFA and probably a whole lot more fun. <laughs> yes. Um, you know what? Uh, only when I travel. I don't know. My wife is saying, that's not true. She's, she's giving me the face. So. <laughs> sorry, bad answer. Yes. Does it hurt you to hurt the characters? I'm sorry? No, in fact, just the opposite. It was like, um, you know, it was like, well, one, it's like, I had this really, I had the worst boss I've ever had in my entire life at this place. So I did a lot of terrible things to him. 
and but he also does things to Pemberton so they have this very strange relationship and um, but I also kind of knew that when I was revising it and come out the other side that like do I give Pemberton this awakening that I had had and um, and, I, and I thought about that for a long time and I'm not going to answer that either because I want you to read it yeah. yes did the uh, customers uh, coming in there their kind of desperation that they did have now, did that kind of influence it all yeah, um, it did eventually occur to me that a casino is a really terrible place to try to get sober, you know. Um, that dawned on me after a year or two, you know, this might not be the healthiest environment for me. But at the same time, um, there was, I mean, it was, because the casino you really couldn't generalize. It was really sprawling. I mean, there were people who would come and they had the fucking time of their life in that place. And I had the opportunity to interview a guy who had just won, I think something like, it was over half a million dollars. And that was like an electric moment. You know, I mean, he was just like flying on, you know, he was, he was kind of calm about it. He wasn't one of these like, ah! I mean, he was kind of calm, but he was like levitating, you know, he was like, this is a life changer. Yep, this is going to change my life, I, you know. And so he had me like, what are you going to do with the money? You know, but, um, and you would meet people, like you would see people, you'd come in, walk the floor, do your thing, leave, come back the next day. It's like, oh, that guy was still here, <laughs> hasn't left. And um, so you had a whole range, you know. It's like there were times we used to have this promotion where we would give $5 of free play away, and all you can do with it is just play. You can't redeem it for money or anything like that. And uh, we do different promotions. Like, you know all those polls? Hey, we're the best casino in Los Angeles County. Those are all kind of rigged with ballot stuffing. So we would give people free play cash to come in and fill those things out. And people would come out of the woodwork. Like, I was like, oh my god, I didn't know, I didn't know this existed, you know? And I mean, and that was a little frightening. But the saddest thing for me, I think, were the people who were wealthy, who had time, and just killed so much of it at the casino. Uh, they just, something had happened where they couldn't deal with people or couldn't deal with themselves, or this is just what they did. And um, I never really would like look down at the guests themselves, but I would often wonder about the people at home. It's like, man, I know I spent all this time here. I can't wait to get out. I know. Uh, thinking about my family and then wondering, well, what about their family? They don't have to be here. So, um, so yeah, kind of depressing. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> All right. Uh-oh. Uh, a uh, not-so-subtle sign that I need to wrap this up? Or uh, How about we give a couple T-shirts away? And then we'll have, like, you can think up a really good question. We'll do a couple more, and then we'll, we'll call it a night, and we'll eat, eat a bunch of coconut bars. I, I do have all kinds of sizes. Is there anybody here who does not have a raffle ticket? I know there's some people. Come on up, Mary. Come on up. All right, stealing the raffle tickets is not going to help you. Uh, oh. <laughs> 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 
The production value on this operation has just gone to hell. It always gets so serious at this time. Um, I'm also the host of Vermin on the Mount, a Los Angeles and San Diego, San Diego based reading series. Many of you have read of Vermin. Some of you are reading next week, Friday, August 8th at Book Show at the Nomad Art Compound in beautiful Frogtown, right by the river on the other side of Dodger Stadium. It's like, what, a mile and a half from here, Jen? And Jen is the proprietor of Book Show. Who allows us to have vermin on the mount there? Okay, I have all sizes. I shouldn't say that, right? That's embarrassing. Okay. One six five three six six. Yeah, all right. Have you ever won anything before? I love that. Uh, what's that? Okay, you will. We can redeem this stuff afterwards, and we can. Because I got this box, I'll probably shuffle through it. So, and what is your name? Emily. Emily. Round of applause for Emily. Usually, I redeem these. I mean, I verify, but Emily looks kind of trustworthy. What do you say? Yeah. I'll defer. Okay. This is how. Uh, oh, um, I'm surprised nobody asked me. Is casino gambling legit? That shit is fixed, right? Wrong. It's completely legit. It's all monitored by um, by you know gaming authorities, and there's so much to lose by even thinking about tampering that they don't do it. That they run a very legit operation. So you can win. One six five three three eight. Yes. All right, yeah. Ashley Perez. All right. Okay. Have you ever won anything? Okay. Ever. That's great. Okay. So um, let's do another one. Why not? This is too, we're having too much fun. One more and then we'll do three more questions and then I will be extremely arbitrary, which is how life works. One, six, five, three, six, five. Yeah. All right. See, they were really close to each other. So I was like, it always kind of sucks when a couple wins, you know, you're just like, everyone's like, oh, how nice, we hate you. Okay. Okay, I have three more of these. Oh, and I didn't even tell you. This is kind of funny. Um, you can win a night in a casino, up to two nights. Uh, my publisher is giving away something like 250 bucks so you can travel to an Indian casino of your choice and spend the night. That's, this is for real. You just go to thunderclapcasino.com and fill out the form. Here's the funny part is we're having a little trouble like exporting the information from the form. So I might have to extend the, con the contest because uh, I was going to announce the winners on Saturday, but 
I don't really know who entered. So <laughs> that's good for you guys. It gives you some time to get some entries in. One per household. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, does not include travel or cocaine. <laughs> Three questions. Yo, someone, someone who holds the chip is going to get I'm at three more people who are going to ask questions. They're each going to get a chip, and one of the chip holders is going to um, get a T-shirt. Chris. Is there something that you had to edit out that you really wish were filling that? No. <laughs> That's how I roll. No, um, there's actually a framing device in the book. It's all set in contemporary LA and San Diego, but there's a, a framing device that gives, it provides a historical context that really kind of tweaks with the reader's expectations of what you might expect to find in a haunted casino. And I thought I was going to get some pushback on that, you know, because, you know, it's italicized, it's prologue y. People might, I thought that someone who's having a bad day would be like, what is this shit? We don't need this. Just stick to the. Stick to the cocaine. We stick to what you know. But nobody did that. That conversation never came, and it's in there, and I love it. And when people read it and they like and they respond to it, it's like it makes the whole thing like wonderful. So, all right, Chris. Who else had a question? Okay, right in the front, and then we'll go in the back. So, is there anyone you know, advanced notes or any other opus that? That's funny that you would ask because, yes, um, there's a whole, um, okay, so the character who's Native American, uh, who is a part of the Yukamaya uh, Indian, totally made up, and uh, she, her name is Alice, and there's kind of an Alice in Wonderland thing going on. Um, she suffers from... Uh, epilepsy and she's having some trouble managing her seizures and the medica new medication she's on may or may not be giving her hallucinations or maybe she's tapping into something else. So that's kind of your question about the supernatural. And um, so maybe you knew this or maybe you didn't but Charles Dodgson aka Lewis Carroll also suffered from epilepsy and he had the kind of hallucinations that he would have is that things that were small would appear large and things that were large would appear small yeah you've heard all this before so it kind of uh, he kind of took his own symptoms and projected them onto Alice and so that's exactly what I did I took his symptoms projected them onto Alice and, uh, and away we go very good question all right, last question. This one better be great. Yes. So while you were writing this, yes. uh, what was your biggest struggle or hurdle? Like, what wall did you hit? Hmm. Uh, just the self-imposed walls of being a um, not particularly stable human being uh, during the writing process. That was really the big one. My wife is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, she's not very supportive of my wife. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You get a chip. Oh, a little pinball action. Okay, how many people have a chip? Raise your hand. Okay, we're going to, come on, really raise them up. Okay, um, 
Let's see. You know what? I'm going to go with Justin and make this double arbitrary because he had a good question and because it's his fucking birthday. And oh, by the way, if you're ever near a casino on your birthday, it's worth stopping by. <laughs> they will give you all kinds of free shit. Thank you very much for coming. We have more cookies, and we'll be uh, signing some books. And uh, when we wrap that up, I will dish out the t-shirts. Or if you need to go, we can do that right away. Okay. Nubia will do the t-shirts. How about a round of applause for Nubia? You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.